Thank you so much. Yeah, there it is. I'm loud as it is, so yeah, good luck with that back there, Gary. Um, thank you so much for having me. I've been here a couple times, and I just love this church. I love your pastors. I was uh, brought a friend today, Shannon, and I was telling her, I said, Pastor uh, Janet Short, Pastor Kevin's wife, is seriously one of the most genuine, down-to-earth, like you can just talk to her because she loves you, and you know it, you know? So yes, thank you. Um, and isn't it good to be in person? Like, I just love that it feels kind of like Christmas is back, you know, because we're all here together, close, close proximity. So um, th- what an honor it is to be, to be back this morning. And um, I, to be honest, have spoken a lot in recent days, and we are super close to Christmas, which feels to me like we need to be in Luke chapter 2, but we're not going to be in Luke chapter 2 uh, because the good news is Christmas is on a Sunday. So Pastor Kevin, I'm sure we'll have it covered, you know. You will hear about uh, the birth of baby Jesus, the hope of the world. Um, I learned just a few days ago that Advent means the expectation of who is to come. And um, I love that he has arrived for you and for me. Um, And if you do not know him, like what a better time of year just to to plant yourself in Christ. Um, Your Christmases from here on out will be so much richer. Um, But today we're going to be in John chapter 5. This is, you know, we are serving the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus who is all-powerful and all-knowing and who meets us in our point of desperation. If you have your Bible, open it up. If you don't, uh, it's actually a fairly short passage, so I will read it for you. A few months ago in June, I was in Israel And I absolutely love Israel. I've gotten to go twice, going again next year in 24, trying to talk Pastor Kevin and Janet into going with us. Um, It is, there's just nothing like it um, because I have found like so often, um, you know, in the Western world, we are so, um, you know, educated, I guess, not that other parts aren't because they certainly are too, but there's almost like this intellectual elitism sometimes where you're like, ah, I'm atheist, I'm agnostic, like I don't believe that. But like when you are in Israel and the evidence is all around you, it changes things. Um, And so this passage, John chapter 5, came so alive to me that um, I have been speaking on it multiple times. And like I said, it is very much not a Christmas passage, but um, if you're anything like my family, I love my family. They're massively huge. Um, And sometimes there are some fractures that I think become magnified at Christmas. And this passage will speak to that directly. So if you find yourself and you're like, man, It's only at Christmas that I recognize what's lacking in the family relational unit, you know. Um, I feel like this man's story has so profoundly impacted my life that I want it for you. I want you to be able to believe again for the thing that seems so incredibly impossible. Because that, my friends, is where Jesus starts with the impossible. So, um, starting in verse 1, John chapter 5, it says this, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. You know, what's really cool is um, in America, if there's something really awesome, like we tend to put it in a museum behind a glass case with no flash photography, And in Israel, if there's something really cool, like, it's still there. Like, in its original condition, you can be up on the Temple Mount, you can walk through the Sheep Gate, and you can come to the Pool of Bethesda, and it's still 
right there as it was with five covered porches. You can walk on them. You can uh, lay down on them if you want because nothing is off limits. It, it is as it was. And so I can just envision this. So I need you to envision this with me like this massive pool. Don't think like American swimming pool because it's super deep. Like it's very, very deep. Um, and wide, and then there's like still the covered porches, and so it's like a people, a, a people place, you know, like lots of people hanging out, um, just you know meandering around the outside of the pool area, um, and you can just imagine crowds of sick people, like we we've got lots of sick people. It seems like in our life right now, I don't know, like the flu or whatever it is that is currently going around um, has been affecting lots of um, people, but like just imagine like. A, a crowd like bigger than this of just sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, impossible, impossible sickness, impossible um, ailments or disabilities or issues that they have been staring at day after day after day. In verse six uh, or verse five, it says one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Like 30, I'm barely 38 years old. Like it's, a, it's amazing to think that like for my entire lifetime, you would be in the same paralyzed condition, in the same geographical place, hoping for your healing, but most likely thinking, yeah, that's not ever going to happen. This is just my lot in life. This is just how it's going to be. It's always going to be this way because for 38 years, I've been staring at it. And nothing has changed. And, you know, when we come to this passage, like, we understand that it's so easy to pick up the label. Oh, he's the man. You know, the paralytic, the beggar, the blind man, the divorcee, the woman who stole from the PTA, the woman whose kid is in prison. Like, we pick up all these labels, and we wear them because it's how we are known. This would have been this man's identity. The only thing that people know about him is that, yeah, he's the guy, the one who lays by the pool every day, you know, by the sheep gate. Like, and, and no one even knows his name. We're not even told his name in Scripture. So my question is, like, what label have you allowed yourself to wear that Jesus never intended you to wear? Like, what have you been staring at? What relational issue, financial issue, wayward child issue have you been staring at? Maybe it's been 38 years. Maybe it's been three years, or maybe it's only been three months. But quite frankly, you look around at the issue and you say, there's absolutely no way. It's impossible. That's an impossible situation. Well, after 38 years of being the man by the pool, nameless, faceless. I mean, commentators tell you that it's not just this man's condition. It is also his provision. In that culture, in that period of time, he actually would have made money there at the gate, a decent living. So this is everything and all that he has ever known. And you know, sometimes the labels in, in America that we pick up are good labels, like, oh, she's the president of the bank. She's the president of the PTA. Like, whatever it is, label-wise, She's so-and-so's mom. Are any of you so-and-so's mom? Because sometimes they're like, oh, you're Caroline's mom. She's my oldest. And often people are like, you're Car hi, Caroline's mom. You know, and I love the label. I do. But the point is that Jesus never identifies us by what we do. It's like, who are we becoming? And he sees potential in the impossibility. He sees potential even in the label, but he asks of us to take off the label and be okay 
with being only identified as his child. After 20 years in local news, um, in three different shops around the country, the latest one obviously Springfield, it's interesting because when I was leaving the business, people would say to me, well-meaning people, and I think you'll chuckle, I know that I did, but if you think about it, it'll make you sad and not chuckle, but they would say, who are you going to be now that you're not on the news anymore? And I was, I'm like, well, I'm still a daughter of the king. How about you? Like, it's just a weird thing because we can identify ourselves by what we do instead of who we are and who we're becoming in Christ. And either label is a dangerous one to pick up. Like, whether it's the, the blind man or the thief or the, the mom of Caroline or the reporter on TV every day, like, none of those are good labels, None of them are good, and it's interesting because Jesus sees this man. He doesn't just see him, like, in passing, like we sometimes see people in passing. Like, he stops, and he sees them, but he does not let him remain in a mindset that says, that's impossible. Because some of you, your marriage is impossible. Like, I've had friends who, whose marriages, honestly, are impossible if I look at it through my human lens. I mean, I, I know of times, in, even in our own life, where it's like financially you're up against it or relationally you're up against it, and you're sitting here going, you don't understand. This thing is so far fractured that if I actually get out my magnifying glass, I will see that there is no way to put that back together. And this man would have been very much familiar with that mindset because 38 years staring at the wayward child, 38 years staring whatever mountain is in front of you, we can all stop believing, even though we wouldn't say, I've stopped believing for that. Our hearts have stopped believing. My mother is in a wheelchair. She's been there for 22 years. Um, I went away to college 22 years ago. That tells you my age. Um, and I'm, I'm owning it. Like, listen, if I go gray, I'm going gray. You just need to know that right now. Um, I'm going to age with my high school friends. We've decided if we go gray, we're just going to own it. Um, so it's just funny because, um, so I come back, I go to college, I come back on spring break and my mom, who was an athlete, honestly, she was a swim coach. She was just super athletic is in a wheelchair. And my sister was in a wedding in Mexico, which is not ADA compliant. Praise God for America. Like, if you've traveled, you know. You're like, whoa, like, we had no idea how great we had it in America to have the Americans with Disabilities Act. So we're in Mexico trying to push a wheelchair through sand. Um, and it was just this moment where I'm, like, going, Mom, come on. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, let's go, you know. And never in a million years did I think that 22 years later, my mom would still be in a wheelchair. Like, we didn't know when she first went in that she would still be there. Like, I thought this was, like, a temporary thing. And, you know, we can all, like, look at this thing that we're like, this is just going to be temporary. Like, yes, they are wayward right now, but they're coming home. But then it's, like, year after year after year goes by, and you're like, I don't know the, I don't know that this is going to change. And so then you have to, like, learn how to navigate life in a way that you never thought you would navigate it, because now it's always at the top of my mind. Always. Like, anytime my mom's with me, I'm like, okay, can we go to this store? Because sometimes the aisles are too narrow. Or is there going to be a parking spot? Or is it like, I've learned how to navigate her disability. Out of necessity, I would tell you that it's out of necessity. But have I also stopped believing that he is the God over the disability? 
Like, I could believe for healing again in an instant after having visited this pool. I'm telling you, something within me shifted. And, you know, the Bible talks about just having faith the size of a mustard seed. Well, it dawned on me that somewhere I was out of mustard seeds in the mom, you know, healing department. And sometimes you have to borrow a mustard seed. Like sometimes when you can't believe for it, you need someone in the body of Christ to be like, listen, I know that it's dysfunctional. I know that it seems too far gone. I know that you think there's absolutely no way that he's coming home or that your husband will ever change. But I'm telling you, we serve the God of the impossible. But we need each other because if you're out of mustard seeds, you might not even know it. Never has there been a day where I've stopped praying for my mom's healing. But I guarantee you there's been many a day, a years, that I didn't actually believe that I would see her walk again. And as of recent, in recent weeks, in recent months, I'm like, oh my goodness, my mom is going to be healed. Like, you guys, I believe it with all that is within me. And I'm going to report back to you, Janet, so that you can tell everybody, I'm telling you, she's going to get out of the chair. But there's a real enemy. There's a real enemy. Like, honestly, she and I almost got into this big blow-up recently, and it takes a lot to make me angry. Honestly, it takes a lot to make her angry. We're just very much like we get over it type of people. But I'm telling you, like, I had that moment where the Holy Spirit was like, do not let this blow up. Do not let this blow up because her healing is close. You don't need the division. You need the unity in Jesus' name because with him, it is possible. It is possible. And you might feel justified in your label, justified in your condition, and you might have every earthly reason for it. But I'm telling you, walk in unity in Jesus' name. Be holy, he says, because I am holy. We cannot sit there and look at a situation and feel like, oh, it just can never change because I'm a victim. You cannot be a victim and a victor. Those two things cannot coexist. And Jesus Christ says, you are a victor. You're more than a conqueror. And the world in which we live, the culture will tell you, no, you're a victim. You were wronged. You don't deserve that. You, and we can take that on even unintentionally, but it literally informs our thinking and it does not allow us to walk as victorious because we feel like the world owes us something this man is no different he moves on he's been there for 38 years when Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time he asked him would you like to get well do you want to be healed some translations say you know what, that seems like a rhetorical question. Like, why are we asking the question, like, do you want to be healed? Well, yeah, duh, of course I want to be healed. So why does Jesus ask it and then get immediate response? Because the guy knows that it's not intended to be rhetorical. Today, the question is the same. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Because it is not a rhetorical question. And the reason that Jesus asks it and gets a response is because Jesus does not let us remain in our current thinking. He says, listen, it's been 38 years. It will be costly for you to get well. You might have to go back to work. You might have that wayward child show up your door completely strung out, but at least they're here. And now what is your Christmas dinner going to look like? We, we have a hard time trusting God on the other side of the miracle. Like, what if your husband actually repented and came home? Then what? Then what? 
Like, what are we going to do with that information? Jesus does not let him stay here. He says, do you want to be made well? Because honestly, like I know in my own life and probably many of you, you reach the point where you're like, I don't even know if I want that reconciled. But Jesus is in the ministry of reconciliation. It's what he does. It's who he is. Are we okay with that? Do you want that to be made well? This is not just physical. Like, yes, it is physical. The man we're going to see is physically healed, but it's deeper than that. This is a spiritual renewal. It's a spiritual healing. It's a spiritual issue at its root. Whatever it is that you're facing is a spiritual issue. But Jesus is asking us this morning, do you want to be made well? Are you okay with what your life might look like on the other side? I'll tell you, since we have been praying with fervency again for my mom and really believing, she is getting this newfound faith to believe again for her healing. Because she's long since stopped believing for it for obvious reasons. It's been 22 years in her case. And, and so it's very interesting because the other day she was like, I don't, like, I, when I was working, like, we didn't even, like, send emails. Like, I got to, like, learn how to send an email. I'm like, yeah. But you know what? That's, like, a scary thing. If you've never done that, like, if you've never worked in a world that was, like, 100% basically on computers, it's actually scary to think, like, if the Lord healed me, then what? Like, then what would I do? Ah! You know? That's where my nine-year-old comes in. Because I'm also technology challenged. Even after working in the media for 20 years, I still am no good at technology. That is a true story. But he says to him, like, do you want to be made well? Verse 7, he says, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. You know, this is us saying to Jesus, Jesus, this is why it can't happen. This is why my son can't get off drugs. This is not marijuana. This is meth. This is not a common cold. This is cancer. And we somehow assign to words or, or diseases or illnesses or situations the reasons why God can't. Like he's saying, I can't. I'm a victim of my circumstance. I would love to be healed, Jesus, but don't you see? Everybody else gets there ahead of me. And we do the same thing. This passage so reminds me of the time in my life 11 years ago. I know the date because my middle child is 11 years old. And 11 years ago, I was working a million hours a week, which was normal. And I was perfectly okay and justified in it. I love my line of work. I tell my interns, listen, this is not a job. This is a lifestyle. News is a lifestyle. Like, you got to be okay with the Branson Bell running aground when you are pregnant and puking and going out and covering it. Like, are you okay with that? Because I'm okay with that. I am an adrenaline junkie. But, but I was working a million hours, and I worked totally opposite shifts for my husband. And so in my mind, I'm like, listen, I know that I, like, never see the kids, but at least they're with their father. At least they're with their dad. And this is great for them because, you know, there's nothing better than that you know, godly influence that a man can bring. And by the grace of God, I hope you have that. And I will pray with you for it if you don't. Trust me, I'm like super passionate about marriage. But anyway, um, my husband, or the first of all, the Holy Spirit said, you need to quit your job. And at the time in my life, I would have been like, do you do math? Because I'm not great at math, but like, I can't just quit my job. 
And I really felt like the spirit was like, you need to quit, you need to quit, you need to quit. And I was like, I can't, I can't. Like, here's all the reasons why I can't. And I was saved at this point. So I'm like going, do you not see that I'm a light in a dark industry? Like, come on, Lord, like, what do you mean? And like, it was so obvious to me. And I had spoken not one single word to one single person about it. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a Friday. My husband was leaving for work a couple hours after I had returned home. And he rolls down the window and he says, you need to quit your job. And I came unglued. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Do you know what our finances look like? Like, just start word vomiting. And he says in his cool, like, you guys, if he ever wins the lottery, well, we don't play the lottery, but if ever, like, he would be like, great, awesome. Like, he's just not excitable. And in true Ethan fashion, this day he said, I'm only telling you what I know what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. This should not be a revelation for you. This is confirmation. Peace out. Drives away. And I'm, like, so mad. I'm, like, fuming angry. Because I'm recognizing that my label, my identity had been in what I did. I mean, and yes, my provision too, right? But more than that, the Lord wanted me to lay down the label, the good label, right? Good label, like we would call it. Like I do want for my children, right? I want you to be like a contributing member of society. I hope that you make something of your life. Like it's okay to want those things, but they cannot identify us. And so fast forward to Monday, I go in, I quit my job, my boss is shocked, I'm shocked, I'm crying, he's almost in tears and is like, uh, what? Like, uh, what do you mean you're leaving? And I was like, listen, I know, it's crazy, I'm as shocked as you are, quite frankly. And so um, I go home and I was like, well, this is going to take some getting used to, like, I don't need to set my alarm for 2.45 a.m. Weird, like, that's crazy, because I've done that for decades at this point, you know? So I'm, like, trying to get used to, like, being okay with just not working at all, even though it's, like, what I went to school to do. It's what I would have told you was, like, my dream job. Like, when people are, like, hey, what's your dream job? I mean, I was in it, you know? And so it's crazy because fast forward to Friday, my boss calls me and says, hey, what would it take for me to get you part-time? And I'm, like, oh, we don't allow part-timers in the newsroom. And he's, like, um, okay, so, so what would it take for me to get you part-time? And I was like, no, Scott, have you not read the handbook? The handbook, the HR handbook says that there's no part-timers in the newsroom. In fact, other reporters have asked to go part-time, and the answer was always no. And he was like, I'm the boss, you're the employee. My question is, what would it take for me to get you part-time? And I was like, I don't know if I should say, get thee behind me, Satan, or if I should, like, start praising God, like, because I was honestly unsure. And so I called my husband, and I'm like, they're offering me to go part-time. And, of course, Ethan's response is like, well, no, that's, I don't, I don't know if that's right, because HR, and I was like, no, he told me, like, he's apparently already talked to HR. I don't know. Like, here we are. So we, like, fast and pray, and, like, lo and behold, I go from working about 55 hours a week to 20 hours a week. I'm not telling you to quit your job. I'm simply saying There are times where we literally will throw the book at God and we will look at the boss of our lives and we will say, you know what? I can't be healed. My marriage can't be restored. My finances are never going to rebound. My kid is never coming home. I can never get into that pool because someone else always gets there in front of me. Or in my case, you're like, did you not read the handbook? And Jesus is up there going, I'm the boss. You're the employee. 
You work for me, I don't work for you. My ways are altogether different. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. But do you trust me? Are you willing to lay down your faulty thinking? Are you willing to say, yes, I want to believe again for the healing. I want to believe again regardless of what the doctor's report says. I want to believe again regardless of the phone call that I got last night. I mean, honestly, I have friends and family members who will ask me for prayer and they'll start going down the list. I'm like, don't even tell me the detail. I don't need to know. Like, I can pray in more faith if I don't know all the details. So spare me the details. Yes, I'll pray. You know why? Because we can look at a situation and think with human eyes and say it could never happen. I, I knew reporters personally who had asked to go part-time, and the answer was no. So what makes me any different? Because I was willing to believe that God could do more for me than I could ever do for myself. And he says, I'm no respecter of persons. What I've done for them, I'll do for you. But will you trust me? Because honestly, the costliest part in America is believing him, regardless of what the financial records say, regardless of all the reasons why we can't. It's costly to be obedient because you're letting go of something that you don't really want to let go of. But if you will do it in obedience, the blessing of your life hinges on your obedience. It's in Samuel where he says, blessing always follows obedience, and obedience is better than sacrifice. Your blessing hinges on your obedience. Like whatever it, he's calling you to do or to believe for, don't sit there and say, I can't, and here's why I can't, because this is what it says. Every single disease, every single ailment, every single relationship, every single financial burden, pales in comparison. It must bow to the name of Jesus. His ways are higher than our ways. We cannot say, well, God, there's just no way because Jesus does not let him stay there. The very next verse, Jesus tells him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. If you've been atrophied for 38 years, you cannot stand up, pick up your mat and walk. My son has been on crutches for like four or five weeks, and already his foot had atrophied. And he's a healthy nine-year-old boy. Think about that. Think about 38 years as a paralytic. And Jesus' command is to stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Do you understand that what we believe is impossible? That's the beauty of it. You can't do it yourself. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. None of us do, but he still calls us to do it. How do we do it? Because he is a powerful God. He calls us to obedience. He calls us to faith. And then he does everything that we could never do. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Some of us need to stand up today, pick up our mat, and walk out serving a God who literally rose from the grave. We're thankful for Christmas. Praise God he was born. But Paul says our faith is futile without the resurrection. The power is in the resurrection, and that same power is attendant in our lives. And that's honestly super uncomfortable. It's an, it's an uncomfortable thing to think, like, I could never do that. No, he, you couldn't do that. Like, people used to admire me or applaud me for, like, quitting my job. And I'm, like, going, you don't understand. I wouldn't have done that. In my flesh, I wouldn't have done it. 
My identity was wrapped up in it. My money was wrapped up in it. All the things. But Jesus said to do it. And for the first time in my life, honestly, that's not even the biggest testimony in my life. Nobody got saved. Nobody got healed. It was just a step of obedience. In most people's life, if you've been walking with him for any length of time, you've had a million of those. But I'm telling you that for me, that 11 years ago, Mark, was the first time that I actually believed God. Instead of operating in my own understanding, in my own flesh, in my own heart, I was like, I'm going to believe that God can do more than I could do. And I didn't know the phone call was coming. I had no idea that my boss was going to call five days later. No idea. But if I had asked to do it, the answer would have been no. So when he's saying, stand up, pick up your mat and walk, and you're sitting there going, I can't do that. I can't change my husband's heart. I can't change my dad's heart. I can't make Christmas merry. He's saying, but will you believe me? It's, it's about the trust. It's the issue of trust. Like, do we trust him to do it? Because he is for you, and he's not against you. And honestly, I'm a driven person. My kids are driven, and I tell them all the time, listen to me. Look at me. This is what they would tell you. Like, if I die young and they're speaking at my funeral, this is what they will say. God's plan for your life is better than anything you could ever plan for yourself. But it requires obedience. Do what he's calling you to do in the name of Jesus. And then you watch yourself pick up your mat and walk, and you could have never done it. You don't take a lick of credit because you recognize, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have done it. But Jesus was calling me to some, I tell you, if I would not have said yes back then, I wouldn't be here today. I know that I wouldn't be here because I wasn't in the word back then like I am today because I was working at 2.45 in the morning. I couldn't set my alarm any earlier. Like, and if you have children, when you get home, it's done, like your quiet time is over. If their feet are on the floor, it's done. And, and it was crazy because not only did I work many fewer hours, but also different hours that were a massive blessing. Something that I could not have orchestrated for myself. I simply say that because God says, I will do it for you too. Whatever it is, but it will require a level of trust and obedience that makes us super uncomfortable. Because we can sit here and go, God, I can't. Like, I can't do that. Like, do you not do math? Do you not understand the finances? Do you not understand? Like, whatever it is, I don't know. But I'm telling you, he's calling us to believe again. Verse 9, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up a sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, pick up my mat and walk. Who said such a thing, they demanded. You know what I love about this? This is religion versus relationship. Religion says, you need to earn that. Who do you think you are? Why do you get to do that and and they don't get to do this? Or or, or you, you feel like God will meet you when you get off the drugs. God will meet you when you do this or that. And Jesus is saying, I literally am breaking the law. I'm healing a man on the Sabbath. It's why? Because it's not about the rules. It's not about doing this and not doing that. Are there things that we should do? Yes, but they're birthed out of relationship. I don't have to read my Bible 
I want to read my Bible. I don't have to go to church. I want to go to church. Why? Because I actually have a relationship with the author of this book who also happens to be the author of my life. And he cares about every single detail. But religion says, well, I don't deserve that, or that can never happen for me. or like, No, that is the mindset, that, that, the same one that makes the Jewish leaders angry. Because always the religious elite will attack a move of God. It happens all over the Gospels every time. And it's because they, they're Pharisees. I mean, they're, they're trying to keep the rules. I'm not a rule follower. By nature, I'm not a rule follower. That's why I need friends like Shannon to be like, no, like that's not okay. Because like I'm, I, I get that I'm bent toward that. But if it looks like I follow the rules these days, it's because I try to follow this. But it is, I'm telling you, y'all just meet my dad. <laughs> Rebel without a cause. Like I'm telling you, there's something freeing about the relationship with Christ because you understand, like, I don't have to do everything perfectly. But when your life starts to look more and more like him, it's because you're planted with other people who you are accountable to. Psalm 92 says those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. I don't have to go to church, but I get to go to church. And I'm so thankful for other believers in the body to say, what are you doing? Like, no, that's not okay. Because we need accountability. We need vulnerability. And that is birthed out of a place like this. Where you allow Janet to speak into your life. You allow Vicky to say, what are you, no, like, that's not okay. What are you, what are you doing? Because we can all be bent toward this, like, do this, don't do this, you have to do this. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. There are simply parts of what you find yourself doing that is actually born out of relationship, a healthy relationship, not out of this rule book that makes you mad. When someone else receives their healing, are you angry about it? When someone else's husband comes home, are you mad? Like that is religion. Because you look and you say, you know what, they didn't deserve that. None of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. But he is faithful to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Verse 13, the man didn't know, for Jesus disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, Now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. That's sobering. But this is relationship. This is God Yes, giving the physical healing, but this means he's in relationship because Jesus can't say to you, stop sinning unless you're his child because you can't without the help of the Spirit. None of us can. So we know that he's in relationship. There's a death worse than a physical death, and it's a spiritual death. And there are people all around us who are spiritually dying. Like, are we willing to go be a witness to them, to say, listen, I'm not asking you to follow the rules. I'm just telling you there's a better way. And is better, the, the better way is Jesus. That's the better way. Like, lest we ever counsel someone to, like, start following all these rules. Like, I, I'm, like, guilty as charged. I mentor a lot of girls. I'm like, if you would just do this, and if you would just do this, and if you would just do this, I think that you'd be okay. And it sounds so great. But I'm asking them to do something that they can't do. If they could have done it, they would have done it. 
But Jesus is asking all of us to do something that we could never do. If you've been atrophied for 38 years, you can't get up and walk. You just can't. Your muscles aren't there unless Jesus tells you to. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself with a completely different appetite than you've ever had in your life. And you're like, man, this is the man who told me everything I ever did and still wanted relationship with me. If you're here today, it's because he wants relationship with you. It's not because your neighbor drug you here. It's not because your coworker drug you here. It's not because of your mom or your sister. Jesus drug you here. He says that he called you before the foundations of the earth every single day, written on the calendar of your life by God before time began. He's here because he wants you to walk in relationship, not in religion. Christianity is not religion. It's relationship. It's be, being a Christ follower. But, but following someone is intentional. Like, have you ever been walking in a crowd or, like, driving on the highway, like, trying to follow someone? You actually have to, like, to stay with them at Silver Dollar City. You have to have your eye on them because otherwise— I can remember when I was a kid, like, going up and holding this guy's hand that was not my family member. And, like, looking up and being like, ah! Because there's an intentionality about the pursuit of following Jesus. Verse 15, then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. I love that he went and told people who were hostile to Jesus, people who were hostile to the gospel. He was compelled to go and tell them. In Ephesians, it says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Guess what? The days are evil. You know it. I know it. You sense it. All around you, the days are evil. But are we making the most of every opportunity? Because when we are in relationship with Jesus, we're compelled to tell them. Even if we think they're hostile, even if they seem very uninterested, the man still goes and tells them who. Who are you telling? Because honestly, around Christmas time, people are just more likely to listen to the invitation. Like whether you're sharing Jesus with them right there on the spot or you're saying, hey, um, Christmas is all about Christ and will you go to church with me on Sunday? Because Christmas is on a Sunday this year. There's an invitation. Like are we making the most of the opportunity? Why? Because the days are evil. Like this man who's now in relationship with Jesus immediately had that understanding. He immediately was like, who am I telling? I've got to go tell somebody. I've got to be willing to tell the people that seem completely uninterested. I promise you, if you would have met me pre-salvation, you would have thought, she's not interested. Mainly because I was gainfully employed. I feel like we look at people and we're like, oh, they're like, fine. They have a job. They're fine. They're not fine. Apart from Jesus, they are not fine. They are desperately lost. And we have every answer that they would ever need. Who are you telling? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this passage. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are faithful and that you are good. And Lord, that you, you don't see the mountain like we see it, Lord. So, God, whatever situation that they may have been staring at for three years, three months, even three weeks, Lord, or 38 years, it doesn't matter to you. It's all the same. God, you still call us to believe for the thing that we could never do for ourselves. 
So, Lord, I pray that you would meet with every person. Sorry. <clears throat> I get choked up, honestly. Um, my brother that you prayed for last year was saved on his deathbed. <clears throat> so he ended up dying, which was awful for my family. But I'm telling you, there is an attendant peace in my heart because he was a mountain that was 44 years old that I'd been staring at and feeling like that's impossible. It's not impossible. And so, Lord, whatever it is, God, in this moment, I just pray, God, that you would meet them in the impossibility. God, that you would bring husbands home, that you would bring children home. God, that you would mend hearts and relationships. God, that you would help finances, Lord, that you would breathe on businesses that are still struggling. And God, I just pray, Lord, that my brother James's life would be a testimony to anyone in this room, God, who feels like they're up against an impossible situation. Because, Lord, you meet people in their brokenness. You meet us when we're desperate, when we are desperate for you. We see you move differently. God, you know you're so personal. Meet with every person and situation. In the mighty name of Jesus. And, you know, with every head bowed and with every eye still closed, you know, if you are in this room and you feel like, goodness gracious, I'm definitely in religion, but I don't know that I'm in relationship. If you wouldn't mind, would you just raise your hand? Everyone's head is still bowed. No embarrassment. But I'm telling you, if you can't stand for him, in a room of women who are for you, you're not going to stand for him out there because the world is not for you. And if you're walking with him, you're aware of that. And so in this last few moments, if that's you, if you're like, man, I don't feel like I have relationship. I feel like I'm in religion. Like, just raise your hand. We're going to pray for you right here, right now. Lord, we just thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your moving today. Strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our minds. In the name of Jesus, have your way. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas, God, we would make the most of every opportunity, that we would invite, that we would bring, Lord Jesus, people to your throne room in prayer. And Lord, that we would see them in relationship with you, God. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.